we're excited because we're, we're nearing the, actually it's kind of a weird thing to say, we're excited because we're nearing the end of our study in the book of First Peter. But it is exciting to have been able to spend uh, the time that we have in this wonderful book. Uh, we've got another week after today, and uh, we... We trust that God has been speaking to your heart. He has certainly been speaking uh, to mine through this whole um, study that we've been involved with. But before we uh, begin this morning's message, were, were any of you folks uh, down in downtown Canal yesterday for the veterans uh, celebration ceremony? Anybody? Um, it was a it was a beautiful day. I mean, uh, I've, we've been down there now participating with the uh, Veterans Day ceremony for a number of years now, and this is the first one where you you didn't need to wear a jacket. Uh, normally, I'm wearing a parka trying to keep warm, but it was a moving time uh, to see uh, many veterans uh, on parade. Um, to hear a message from uh, a retired colonel, and uh, it was it was truly a, a, a wonderful reminder of how blessed we are as a nation um, to have had uh, now for some time less than one percent of the population defending the ninety nine percent of us who have not served. And so if you happen to be a veteran, would you mind standing so we can recognize you? If you are a veteran of the United States Armed Services, please stand so we can recognize you. Thank you for your service. Thank you so much. Veterans Day this Thursday, so please remember our veterans. Uh, what a week we've had. <laughs> what, what a crazy, crazy week we have had. And... Uh, I can only tell you uh, what, I, what I share with my life group on Wednesday night. Aren't you glad that God is still on the throne? He is on the throne, and he isn't giving it up for anybody. And he's coming back one day for us to take us home. And another thing that doesn't change, that is our mission. Our mission does not change God has called us to love him, to love people, and to make disciples, and that's what we're going to be about. That's what the church has been about for centuries, and so that's really what Peter has been telling us here in the book of 1 Peter, and what a timely book this has been on so many fronts. Um, Peter wrote his letter to believers who due to persecution were scattered all through what is now uh, modern day Turkey. And they were scattered because of a fierce persecution that came upon them. And he urges his fellow Christ followers to follow the example of Christ's suffering and to endure their many trials by entrusting their souls to God who will one day repay evil and reward those who are faithful. Peter reminds us that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and kept in heaven for us. We've got to keep our eyes on the prize 
And Jesus is that prize. He is our inheritance. And so I'm excited about this morning. I will tell you that this message is probably not going to be one of the most popular ones. It's, it's not something we like to talk about, think about, but it's something that we need to hear. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for our time together to worship you. And Lord, amidst all the uncertainty and all the chaos in the world, Lord, we thank you that you are the same today and yesterday and forever. You never change. And Lord, you are our solid rock. You are our fortress, our, our strong tower, our deliverer. And we can put our trust in you and know that one day, Lord, you will bring us into your eternal kingdom where we will be forever with you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning as we look at your word. Holy Spirit, be our teacher, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, any picky eaters out there? Yeah, I see. I see those hands back there, picky, yes. I am probably one of the pickiest eaters um, in the world. I have always been a picky eater. Uh, I remember getting in trouble many times, um, sitting at the dinner table with my parents when they made me eat food I did not want to eat, and then um, run out of the kitchen very quickly um, to, um, let's just say, dislodge the food that went to my stomach. I know, that was a nice way of putting it. Um, my, my problem was really with something called greens, okay? I had a problem with greens. Spe- there were some specific greens that I didn't like. Peas were one, peas. Um, beans, even. Uh, spinach. And the, wor- the creme de la creme or whatever, broccoli, right? Broccoli, yes. Uh, now, I, I'm told that that's good for you, okay? But I don't like broccoli. I, to me, I, it's simply this. If it doesn't pass the smell test, it doesn't pass my lips, you know? So, I mean, if, if, if it doesn't, you know, yeah, that smells good. I no, I'm going to stay away from it. And And so as I was thinking about where we're going this morning, I thought in many ways, suffering is like broccoli. You may not want it, but you know it's good for you. And and there's this weird kind of relationship that we have with suffering. And I think this is what Peter has been saying throughout the entire book and what he continues to say in the rest of chapter 4, and, and that is that there is great joy in blessing and suffering for the name of Christ. Now, I really think in a lot of ways um, what we're going to be looking at and talking about this morning is really a message for us here in, in America. I, I'm not sure this would be a problem for people in other parts of the world. In fact, earlier, I was last, last night, my wife and I, we were talking, we were, I was just trying to think of, hey, can you help me with like some examples, you know, in, in our lives of, of suffering, you know, for, for Christ? And, and it took us a while. I mean, there were a few things, but we really strained to think about how we have suffered for Christ. You ask that question to believers in other parts of the world, they will have no problem answering it. 
There is great joy and blessing and suffering for the name of Christ. So let's jump in. What I want to do this morning is I want to read through the text in its entirety, and then we're going to go back and take it apart verse by verse, starting in chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become or what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And therefore... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We should not be surprised when we encounter trials. You see that there clearly in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We shouldn't think it's strange or out of the ordinary when we experience difficulties in life, and especially when we experience ridicule for the name of Christ or persecution because we follow Christ. We as a people are often taken back by trials and suffering. Many of us spend our entire lives trying to avoid it. We take all sorts of pills and we get, you know, all, we, we, we'll do everything we can to stave off pain and suffering. But I think what we need to remember is that we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, sin is rampant. And our physical bodies uh, actually... Um, tell us that sin is rampant because it ages, it gets old, our memory fades. Our will, our emotions, our intellect, everything has been tainted by sin. And it should be no wonder that because we're in a spiritual battle that we would face opposition, that God's people would face opposition. Take, for instance, Michael Mayhew. In an article, uh, local believer and sales associate Michael Mayhew is known for his constant barrage of political and religious memes, links, and lengthy texts on Facebook, which he calls edifying to the body. But apparently not everybody appreciates his intellect and deep, deep introspection. Uh, 
Mayhew was painfully reminded of Jesus' prediction that his disciples would experience fiery trials and persecutions in this world Thursday afternoon when not a single person liked, shared, or commented on a profound post he penned laying out his biblical case for capitalism. After enduring approximately one hour of scathing ridicule in the form of total silence from his Facebook friends, Michael humbly commented on his own post, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Mayhew met with reporters after he had fully weathered the intense episode. Every time someone ignores or unfriends me, it hurts, sure. But then I remember how many people unfriended Jesus, said the bold martyr, adding that he's just trying to focus on the eternal weight of glory that God was preparing him through his trial. I don't think that's what Peter had in mind. Now, there's a little tongue-in-cheek article from the Babylon Bee. But let's face it. <laughs> how many times have you heard people say, well, that's just my cross to bear, or I'm just suffering for Jesus, over the littlest, simplest, silliest things, including not being liked on Facebook. That's not what Peter is getting at here as he talks about suffering. The word fiery trial that you have here in the English text is actually the Greek word pyrosis. That jog your memory? Pyro, fire. The word literally means an agony that resembles that of burning. It is an experience of extreme suffering. And Peter says, rather than being surprised by it, we ought to expect trials and rejoice when we encounter them. Now, it's one thing to expect trials. There's another thing to rejoice over them or rejoice in them. I mean, who in their right mind can do that? But this is what Peter has been saying, even from the very first chapter of the book of 1 Peter. In verse 6 and 7, if you have your Bibles, you can look at it. It's not on the screen. But this is what he says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James says something similar in, in his book. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 2, in fact, this is one of the verses that we just memorized in, in our D group, but consider it all joy, my brethren. Catch that part? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its Perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here you have Peter, and you have James telling us to rejoice, to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. This is so counterintuitive, isn't it? We want to avoid 
trials. We, we don't want to experience them. We'll go to great lengths to, to avoid pain and suffering. But it is not a matter of if we will suffer. It's a matter of when we will suffer. Because it will happen. It will, it will happen in the course of, of life. Naturally, as we get older, as the body begins to not work as it used to work, it happens when we endeavor to live for Christ, to be salt and light in a very dark world. The question is, how will we respond to it when it occurs? When we choose to rejoice in our suffering, you know what we're doing? We are demonstrating our faith and our trust in the goodness and power and sovereignty of God. That's what we're doing. And Peter and James make it clear, we ought to rejoice when we encounter trials. Now, he gives us several reasons, so let's take a look at them. First, he says, because our trials test our faith. Verse 12, when we are tested, it produces endurance. We persevere through it, and our faith grows, and we mature. Trials are God's crucible to refine our character. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10, said this. He says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I love how the New Living Translation translates it. It says, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Or the New Century Version, I have purified you by giving you troubles. See, God wants to purify his people. And everything is at his disposal, including suffering. The furnace also burns away chaff. John MacArthur said this, that persecution quickly burns away chaff in the church. Those who have made only a superficial profession of Christ have no new nature to motivate them to suffer for Christ and no divine power to enable them to endure it if they wanted to. Nothing is more spiritually purifying and strengthening than persecution. Trials test our faith, but they also make us partners with Christ in his suffering. You see that in verse 13. We get to share in Christ's sufferings. It is a privilege to be able to do that. In verse 13, gives us another reason, and that is, is that we know that one day we will see him when his glory is revealed. After our faith is tested, it will result in praise and glory at his coming, at his revelation. We will have persevered, and we will see him face to face. Another reason Peter gives us to rejoice is found in verse 14. When we are insulted for the name of Christ, we are blessed. Now notice this is in the present tense. It's not talking about the blessings yet to come. It's talking about the fact that we are in the present, blessed in the midst of suffering. When we are insulted 
for being a Christian. And, and mind you, maybe I need to give a little caveat here. Not, not an obnoxious Christian, okay? A godly Christian, a Christ-like Christian, one who actually lives like Jesus, who loves like Jesus. When people see Jesus in us and then they insult us, that's the kind of suffering that we need to endure. And I love verse 14 because what this is telling us is that we do not have to wait to get to heaven before we experience his presence and power in our life. We can experience it now. We are blessed now. Moreover, we experience a, it, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in a very special way when we are insulted for Christ. God fortifies us and enables us to endure in the midst of suffering. He strengthens us. He infuses us with his power. Again, there is great joy and blessing and suffering for the name of Christ. But he goes on to say in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Just a few points to be made here. First, we should not suffer for doing wrong. That should be a no-brainer. Peter gives us a few examples here. You know, we, we shouldn't be going around killing people. We shouldn't be stealing things. We're not to be evildoers. We're not to be meddlers. And then he goes on to say, and, and we ought not be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. Now, as I read those words, I, I just had to, to think Peter must have, must have realized the import of what he was saying, the power of what he was saying, because I think there's no way he could have said this without thinking about his own denials of Christ. You remember that? When, when Peter made that bold statement that, Lord, I, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. And then just a little while afterwards, he denies that he even knew Christ three times. And here he tells his readers and us that we are not to be ashamed of suffering for Christ. Something happened to Peter to change him. It is as if he was saying, I was once ashamed but never again. I will never be ashamed of him again. And the proof is in the pudding. In Acts chapter five, verse 40, it says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor of the name. The early Church fathers unanimously in their belief be believed that Peter was crucified in the city of Rome in AD 64 under the reign of Nero. What a transformation. Peter having once 
felt the shame of denying Christ, now writes to his readers and to us, and he says, don't be ashamed to suffer for Christ. The apostle Paul tells us something similarly in 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. So rather then be ashamed. Verse 16 tells us that we are to glorify God in Christ's name. And then Peter begins to kind of wind things down and tie things together there in verse 17 where he writes, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become or what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This is one of the the hardest verses for a Christian (laughs) to rejoice over because it simply says that judgment begins with the household of God. It begins with us. You say, well, how does that fit the fact that Christ died to save us? I thought we were saved from judgment. Well, this is actually a reference. What Peter is talking about here is actually a reference to Ezekiel 9 and Malachi chapter 3 where the Lord declares that he will purify his people. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, he says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. So in the Old Testament, he's talking about refining the people of God so that they can then offer these offerings to the Lord in righteousness. So Peter is not suggesting that Christians are going to be judged in the same way that unbelievers will be judged. Rather, he's speaking of their refinement and purification. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, I don't know where that fits into your theology, because I think a lot of us, we understand we're saved, we're going to be with heaven, we're not judged anymore, but the Bible makes it very clear that there is a judgment that we as believers will go through. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, he adds this, 
each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Those ver- these verses ought to give us pause. They ought to cause us to ask ourselves, what am I doing with the gifts God has given me? What am I doing with my talents and my abilities and the resources that God has blessed me with? How am I contributing to the health of the body? There will come a day we will stand before God and our works will be tried by fire. You know, I'm, if I were to imagine myself, you know, going to heaven in a luxurious sort of way, I, I don't see myself sailing in on a nice big yacht, but I don't want to be coming in on a piece of driftwood either. I, I, want, I, I want my life to count I, I want the things that I do to last for eternity. And the, and the only thing that's going to last is the souls of men and women. We need to invest ourselves in one another, build up one another, encourage one another, help one another, bear each other's burdens, glorify God as we seek to love one another. We suffer because we live in a fallen world. But God uses suffering of all sorts of different flavors, all different kinds, whether it be persecution or just the fact that, that sin has begun the process of death within our own bodies. God uses it to make us rely on him and to make us more like Jesus. Consider Julia. Julia was a powerful woman who flaunted her beauty and wealth. Her volatile temper and sharp tongue put people in place and left a trail of damaged relationships. Then in her mid-40s, Julia was diagnosed with aggressive cancer. Despite treatment, the disease progressed And doctors said that she had less than a year to live. As this unfolded, Julia underwent a remarkable change. Her diagnosis frightened her, and so she sought spiritual counsel. She started reading the New Testament. She confessed her sins and gave her life to Jesus Christ. She wrote letters, made phone calls, invited people for coffee, and sought forgiveness from the many people she had hurt. She did all that she could to restore relationships with her family and others. She made peace with her ex-husband, grew close to her children, and developed a loving circle of Christian friends. Several weeks before she died, 
Julia told her pastor that she considered her cancer to be a love gift from God. She believed the Lord had used her disease to draw her to himself. Julia said that she would gladly exchange all her years of beauty, wealth, and influence for the two years of illness that taught her the unspeakable joy of loving Jesus and loving others. Peter tells us that we are to continue to do good even in the midst of suffering. And we can do this because we have entrusted our lives to our creator. We have entrusted our souls to God and because we know that one day he will repay and reward. Do you know that C.S. Lewis was asked, why do righteous people suffer? Do you know what his response was? He says, why not? They're the only ones that can take it. That should be true of every single Christ follower. So this morning, if you're here and you're serious about following Jesus, expect suffering. Expect persecution. Expect ridicule. Remember what Jesus said in John 15. Remember the words that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Peter's readers knew this was true. Christians around the world know this to be true. Do we? If we live godly lives, we will be tested. If we dare preach the gospel and call people to repentance and faith in Christ, we will be persecuted. If we resist the devil and stand against the spiritual forces of wickedness, we will suffer. Paul tells us, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Remember what I said at the first? <laughs> Suffering is like broccoli. You may not want it, but it's good for you. We don't ask for it, but we should expect it. Often, it is a byproduct of simply bearing the name of Christ. It is one way that we grow in Christ-likeness. And folks, I don't think we can truly know Christ in a deep, deep way unless we experience to some degree his sufferings. That's why I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power that raised him from the dead. I want to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Then I have hope that I myself will be raised from the dead. I want to know him like this, don't you? To know him in every way I can. There is great joy. Listen, I'm not here clamoring to say I want to suffer. But I want to have the attitude that when I do suffer, that I can rejoice in it. 
because I know that God loves me, that he is sovereign, that he is on the throne, that he cares about me, that one day I will see him face to face. So may we never run from it in fear or return evil for evil. Rather, let us rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer for Christ. May God empower us to serve him faithfully, even in the midst of suffering. May he grant us courage to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And may there be many more lovers of Jesus in his kingdom as a result. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for your, your word to us. Lord, this is not a word that we want to hear. It's not a pleasurable topic to discuss. But Lord, we know that suffering is a fact of life. It's a reality. But Lord, like your word says, that we should not suffer for doing wrong, but we should not be ashamed of suffering for doing what's right and for following you. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a single person here that would suffer as a result of being an obnoxious Christian, but rather one who truly reflects your character and your priorities in life. Lord, help us to rejoice knowing this world is not our home. One day we will enter into your kingdom where there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for your great love for us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.